Welcome to Batty to Batty, a monthly podcast by For the Breast of Us, the first breast cancer community for all women of color, where we share real-life experiences, information, and education to help you live your best life after a breast cancer diagnosis. Hey, baddies. I'm Nadia, a baddie ambassador representing the early stage thrivers. I'm bringing you good vibes from the Dallas-Fort Worth area by way of Jackson, Mississippi. In March 2016, at the age of 33, I was diagnosed with ductal carcinoma in C2. Are you ready to chat? Let's do this. My name is Nadia, and I'm here today with Shantae Drakeford and Janae Wirtz, um, both breast cancer survivors in our community. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you. So before we hop into this, um, this really good conversation, I already know it's going to be amazing. Um, I'll give you all a chance to introduce yourself. So we'll start with um, Shantae. Just let the audience know a little bit about you. We've already said you are an amazing thriver, but um, what else does the audience want to know about Shantae? Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Shantae Drakeford. I am 37 years old. I live in the Washington, D.C., Maryland area, a.k.a. the DMV. Um, I have been living with stage four metastatic breast cancer for six years now. I was diagnosed at 31 in 2015. And um, I have metastatic breast cancer to my lungs, my hip, my spine, and my rib. And I just do a lot of advocacy. Um, I started it when I was diagnosed um, because I wanted to see more people like me, young people, and especially Black women and men to kind of have a representation out there. I worked with many organizations. I'm a board member of MetaViver. Of course, I'm a, a For the Breast of Us baddie, mm-hmm. LBBC, et cetera, et cetera, everywhere. Um, kind of touch in a lot of lives. And I'm just here, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner by trade. I'm a farmer, my wife, my doggy mama, everything. Mm-hmm. I kind of just do it all. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, welcome, Shantae. You see, she dropped a whole lot in there. She's like, I'm a farmer. I'm a nurse Like, all that. We're, we're going to get to all that um, during the show. All right, Janae, let's give us the 411. Hi, I am Janae Wirtz, and I am 41 years old. Um, I am a 10-year breast cancer survivor. Um, I was diagnosed with um, HER2 positive breast cancer in my right breast in 2011, I was only 30 years old. So um, I reside in Portland, Oregon. I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I've been here for two years. Um, when I am also an advocate, did way more advocacy work when I was in Atlanta and I was connected with other organizations. But since I've been here in Portland, that has been a challenge because I moved six months before the pandemic. And so we are still in pandemic life. So I haven't been able to connect with a lot of organizations out here. And also 
in Portland, it is super white and it's nothing wrong with that. But we know that this community speaks to uh, women of color. Um, and so I, that I know once I really dig deep, it's going to be a challenge. So it'll probably be me starting up something myself to advocate and specifically here in Portland. But what I do is I connect with organizations like you guys so I can share my story online and connect with women all over by sharing my story. And I'm just grateful to be here. I've always known that my journey is not just my own, it's to help other people that look like me and beyond. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's like, welcome, ladies. And that's exactly why we're here to let women know that they are not alone. You know, we'll talk about our journeys, but there, you know, were certain parts of our journey where we felt like we were outside, isolated out there by ourselves, and no one looked like us um, in those, you know, in those doctor's offices or in those support communities. But today our topic is, I gave a little teaser um, when I said 411, but it's what's the 411 on your wellness? So we're discussing the importance of physical, mental wellness, and nutrition for women diagnosed um, with breast cancer. So often, you know, when we are diagnosed, you know, we hurry to what can we do? What's our treatment plan? But there are some things that we also want to take some time to make sure that um, survivors and thrivers are aware of along their journey. So a few questions for you ladies, but this will be an open um, dialogue and we can go whichever way we can go left and right if we need to um, during this discussion to make sure that we cover all those things that we feel are important for those thrivers and survivors out there. All right. So I'll give you all each a chance to kind of answer these, but feel free to hop in as needed. But the first question. So starting now. So how has wellness played a part in your life before and after your diagnosis? I can start. Um, something that I didn't drop into my intro is that previously, before I moved to Portland, Oregon, I was in the health and wellness industry. I was a personal trainer. I taught um, nutrition courses and um, community centers in Atlanta. Uh, I had a meal prep company with my partner, Kim. Uh, yeah, so I was very involved um, in the health and wellness uh, in Atlanta. And even prior to my diagnosis, I became a trainer when I was in my early 20s. Um, and so when I was diagnosed, that literally was probably at that point in my life, that was the most healthiest I had been in my life. I was a figure competitor. So I cooked all my own food. I was working out. I was moving my body, all of those things. So I was doing all the things they say that if you do this, then yeah. you lower your risk of exactly. lifestyle, active, you know, at least 30 minutes of regular exercise. So you just yeah. named a lot of those things, you know, on that list. Yes. I was doing all of the things and yet I was still diagnosed with breast cancer and it doesn't run in my family. Mm -hmm. I had the BRCA test done. So it was just like destined for me to have it. And I have accepted that. Um, so I have seen my health and wellness journey change like through so many different sectors of my life. And I like watching it and what it comes into. And so in this space that I'm in, I am more aware of my body than I've ever been. Um, and it's not about do this diet do this particular program. It's like, what feels good to me? What makes me feel good? And so that's where I am with it. Yeah, so 
I've been a pretty active person like all my life. Like I've always been in sports. I've been in a marching band in college. I played softball and I was in a marching band. I was active in everything. I joined two sororities. My husband's in the military. So we moved a lot. Um, and I lived in Alaska, Georgia, Washington, Korea. And we would just do all the outdoor things, um, especially growing up in Washington, DC, where that's not common. I did all the quote unquote white people stuff. Like I snowboard, um, <laughs> I camp, I fish, I did ice fishing. I mean, I was really outdoors, um, eating whatever I want. Very real small petite. I've always been that way. Um, I started having symptoms of breast cancer at 25 and um, pretty much was told I was too young to have cancer, was ignored, denied couldn't get a mammogram and I wasn't diagnosed until 31 and that's when I was de novo stage four and so um, my husband had said something really important to me when I was diagnosed was like you need to reinvent yourself and I was like what and I was working as a nurse on a unit like in labor and delivery 12-hour shifts I was also in school to be a nurse practitioner and um, another side of it is we were struggling with fertility I was we was trying to have a child I was a foster kid um, growing up, and that's always been in our plan. But we had struggled with infertility for five years before I even got cancer. And since I'm triple positive, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of that was contributed to why I couldn't conceive. And I, I wanted to adopt, but unfortunately, that got shut off and everything. So I had to really reinvent myself. What am I going to do now? Am I going to continue working? Yes, I still love working. So I incorporate one day of work a week. Um, I still like working out. Um, I joined like 5Ks that specifically cater to people with cancer. Um, anything that I could do. My model is like do as much as you can until you can't. And like for the first two years, I couldn't snowboard because I have a huge tumor on my hip. I begged and begged my doctor, can I snowboard? And I finally got the yes, and I've been snowboarding. Up until recently, where um, my physicality has been challenged, I was on bed rest uh, for about two months, and um, that was a mental and physical struggle. But I'm on the right track again with my farm and everything. So I just kind of take my physical and mental wellness as is, as it comes, and I readjust and reinvent myself each time. Ooh, you always okay. So many gems. Let me try to unpack, <laughs> like, just unpack a little bit of it. Like, how much time do we have? Um, so a few things that we mentioned. So before we move um, on, Shanta, you said de novo. So explain to the audience what that is. Um, de novo basically means as your initial diagnosis. Um, being stage four metastatic breast cancer, the treatment is lifelong. That means I will never be in remission. I can never do the bell. I will always maintain on treatment, whether it's IV or oral chemo, uh, radiation, anything of that nature. And de novo meaning I was stage four off the back. I didn't have a previous diagnosis of early stage breast cancer. Um, I was diagnosed because it had already spread all over my body. So de novo means like initial. Mm -hmm. And everyone, I think, you know, all of us can relate that we were all active prior to diagnosis. So 
Janae mentioned, you know, you were competing. So you were in your, you know, your peak physical shape. I was diagnosed six days after running a personal best in a half marathon. And before that, I had made those dietary changes, you know, for that long term conditioning for the for the training that's required. Because a few months later that year that I was diagnosed, the plan was for me to run a marathon. Um, so I was in training. So we were aware of my, you know, our bodies are moving. We're aware of what we're consuming into our bodies. So just for the audience to know that this disease does not discriminate. We look how you know, I was 33, we're talking 30, you know, in 20. So we, we've already kind of busted all the myths that, you know, you're too young, you know, you're too active. And what a lot of people think is black people aren't affected by this disease because you don't see a lot of black, you know, you don't see a lot of us in these marketing campaigns and things like that. So that kind of leads into my next question about advocating for yourself because you don't because we weren't seen you know in this space um and medical providers are like you know once you're you know you're diagnosed we need to save your life um but they don't really think about those mental you know those mental health aspects and also life after diagnosis not life after treatment because you know we talked about there are metastatic, you know, metastatic thrivers and survivors. So treatment will continue for them, but just life after this diagnosis. So as a thriver and survivor, how can we advocate for ourselves to make sure that physical, mental wellness are a part of those treatment conversations, as well as, you know, our life after diagnosis, those things that impact us on our day to day? Um, for me, I feel like... <laughs> I am good with advocating for myself at this point. Um, it's been 10 years, but I think about when I first was diagnosed, I think about my oncologist's office, which is in, in Georgia. I still go there. Like I just plan my trips around my doctor's appointments. My doctor is a white man and I love him. He's been so good, so great to me. My full team, I did not think about this until the pandemic year when I really was like reconnecting with my nurses and stuff, my full team were all black men and women. And so I learned during the pandemic from talking to them, they were advocating for me mm -hmm. behind the scenes and I didn't even know it. There are medications that my doctor or my insurance would not cover and that I needed. And my team was like, no, she needs it. She's going to get it. And the reason it was insurance and they would not give it to me because of my age. They were like, oh, she's young. Mm -hmm. She's fine. She doesn't she's need healthy. You she's know, other, other than this. This yes, one little other, thing. She's healthy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just in, you know, coming in for my treatment. Happy. I will always be happy. Go lucky. I was the youngest person there. Mm -hmm. Same. One of the only young black people there. Everybody else that was, you know, of color were older. Everybody was old there. So just I would always bring life like I was not going to let this defeat me. Right. So to know that they were behind the scenes all these years later and learning this, like I, this just the importance of like us having doctors that care, genuinely care about us and our recovery. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm good with advocating for myself. But what my, what I like to do now is help other people advocate for themselves, mm -hmm. like sharing with them, like, hey, if you don't feel comfortable with this doctor, you don't have to stay with them. I don't care if you try out two, three, four, five different doctors. You have that option. You have to speak up. If they tell you, hey, you're fine, everything's good, and you know your body, nobody knows your body better than you know your body. 
you need to go to someone else. Like you just have to speak up. And so I, I like to share that with women that I come in contact with, especially a, around lumps. Like I, I found lumps in my breast when I was like in my early 20s and I went to the doctor, got some biopsy. They were like, no, you're fine. So my lump that actually had cancer, I actually found that lump. I probably was 28, 29 when I first found it, but I didn't get it checked because I thought it was the same kind of lumps that the doctor had been telling me like, ah, you're fine. You're fine. So I waited literally a year and a half before I went and got it checked because of that reason. I thought they were just, I'm like, they're going to tell me the same thing that they told me before. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up going in only because mine was here under my arm and I could see it poking out now opposed to just filling it with my hands. And I was like, oh, I guess it's getting bigger. Probably should get this checked out. It didn't hurt. Um, it ended up going in and it actually was cancer. But what if I had waited? Right. Mm -hmm. And this is still advocating for myself. Like, oh, I know you check these all the time and you tell me it's nothing wrong. But this one is a little bit different but i actually ended up going to a whole nother doctor um not for any reasons negative reasons but just number one i didn't even have insurance at the time i was in my 20s you know in your 20s you don't care about insurance you live in your life you just mm -hmm. you know <laughs> i was in that space you know and i was in my i was in the health and fitness industry i'm like i'm fine i take care of myself so i ended up going to a specialist that my aunt worked at at the time I was like, hey, can you just see how much this is to like get checked? I don't have insurance. Ended up going in um, and the doctor, she's she's amazing. My surgical oncologist. Um, and yeah, ended up coming out as cancer. So like all that to say, like advocating for yourself and for others is like extremely important. Other people may not even they may have not understood the importance of like speaking up in this regard. Mm -hmm. And it does take some time to develop that mm -hmm. voice because you're so overwhelmed by all the information mm -hmm. that you're receiving. It's like, well, I don't want to actually, you know, they're telling me the best things, but not really thinking, but I still have options. You know, like yeah. there's, there's mm -hmm. tons of doctors out there. Like if this, you know, if I don't like, just like a man, if you don't like this, yeah. I'm going to get another one. You mm -hmm. know, so yeah. like, you know, doctors are the same, but a lot of patients, you know, like first doing that first initial stage, they're so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. They don't know what, you know, the unknown, the unknown unknown i don't know what's not right i don't know what to ask the doctor because all mm -hmm. of this you know is totally new to me so those were some things you know making sure that you know for others they have the choice you know and telling them you have a choice it doesn't feel right you don't have to keep going with it you know ask some more questions yep. demand you know demand those answers um from your medical team and selecting your medical team so making sure like they have your best interest. In like, do you value what I value? Because mm -hmm. otherwise my treatment plan won't reflect that, right? Right. I mean, Shantae mentioned something. I'll, I'll bring that up. But I want to let you um, just kind of speak to that, speak to that question. And we'll we'll circle back a little bit. Yeah, you know, advocacy for yourself is like, you know, it's a it's a learning thing. It starts like a seed and then you grow, you get your roots and then you get your stem and then your leaves and you get better each time. And but initially, like you said, it's very overwhelming. And um, I think what really helped me identify I could speak up and be comfortable was my provider. He said the main thing that he cares about is my quality of life and quality of life looks different on everybody. 
I was concerned about still being able to work. All I know is nursing. I live, breathe it, and I ask, can I still drink and can I still work? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Not the drinking you can hold for a little bit, but you know, like, yeah, continue to work. I want you to still live as normal and active as you can. And that kind of helped trigger me to kind of look into acts about other approaches. Like I asked for a oncology dietitian on what foods should I be eating and what to look, look out for. They told me a high protein, low fat diet. Right. And then, um, I got into palliative care. A lot of times we think about death when we hear that, but that really is essentially something that can help you with your quality of life. It helped with my pain management. It helped me with um, acupuncture. They helped me with my mental health, uh, getting the therapy support groups was really, really big. I got a lot of ideas online and in person in a support group that fit me like young people. I was, I couldn't go to these older ones and it was nothing against them, but we just live a different lifestyle. I'm still working. Some of us have children, you know, and I still wanted to have kids. I got adoption um, information from my social worker. Um, anything that you could think about in your day to day life, try to ask about those questions because we are so boggled on the treatment. We never really think about our lifestyle and what we still can and can't do and the limitations and things of, of that nature. And then initially, I couldn't do a lot of physical stuff because I had radiation. My my hip was about to break, basically. But it strengthened over time. And now, um, you know, I started working out and just, you know, living the farm life. I have chickens, bees, ducks, um, dogs, produce. And just incorporating that in my lifestyle of quality of life really helped me advocate each time, each more. And if you're afraid to ask questions, just take someone who ain't afraid to ask for you because they're going to get it done. Mm -hmm. And then that's the thing too, a journal. So if you're afraid to ask a question, maybe write it down. And when you talk to that friend or, you know, whomever that you confide in about, you know, what's going on, you know, that they may say, well, I want to come to this appointment with you. So, you know, maybe it's just writing and then talking, discussing it with someone else until you build that confidence to actually, you know, ask your medical team that question or, you know, just you may have to, you know, tag somebody in, you know, for those yeah. doctor's appointments. It's hard now, you know, we're in pandemic times. So the options aren't always there but you know that's i've had you know we have to tag somebody in like you know what they told me all this i have pharmacy friends and you know friends in the internal like what does this mean like you know mm -hmm. but we you touched on one thing shantae um in your in your introduction and um just when you were answering that question what your values you value working right you value mm -hmm. having your social lifestyle but you also were still considering having a family mm -hmm. so as you know you know, newly diagnosed, were those options explained to you? Or was that something that you had to reach out to your medical providers about? I had to reach out for it because, I mean, they did offer like preserving my eggs, but I'm ERPR positive And I just like, no, that's detrimental to me. That's just going to make it spread. And I already went through that process. I did IVF, I did IUI, and I just didn't have any embryos. So I was like, what else can I do to try to achieve this? And they was like, um, well, you can adopt. I was going through the adoption process, but they really are finite about your medical health. And once I revealed I had stage four, they was like, nope, you got to be in remission for five years. Um, and even though my husband is completely healthy, they just totally shut it down. Even the oncology friendly support 
um, places. I think they're a lot better now. And this was six years ago. The information that they give out is much better and it's easier to find versus when I was, um, you know, first diagnosed and trying to look for it online. I couldn't find that information, but there are way much better options for you now. I mean, I know someone with NBC who just had um, twins with surrogacy and and so it's just like possible. Even I know someone after early stage being able to conceive and they're pregnant now. And so it's possible now, but it was not offered at first for sure. And I know on Bad to Bad, we're going to dig, you know, we'll dig deep into, you know, family planning and those options as well on another episode. But just really quickly, Janae, were you, um, I know you were, you were diagnosed very young as well too. So were you presented with those family planning options? Uh, I was not. Um, number one, I wasn't in a relationship when I was diagnosed um, and I was 30 years old. And I remember I done my first chemo treatment and I told you my full team were black men and women. And so I remember my nurse, Kim, she was like, did they ask you about freezing your eggs? And I was like, no, but I said, it's all good. I was like, what's for me is for me. God, if God wants me to have kids that I, you know, I will have kids. But I remember her face so distinctly is frozen in my brain. Like she looked like she was so aggravated that that was not offered to me. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's probably how I should have felt. But at the time I was like, I'm just happy to be alive. Give me these mm -hmm. drugs so I can get better. I'll figure that out later. But that should be offered. Cause mm -hmm. now, you know, I'm 41. Um, thankfully my, my cycle did come back. So I am able to conceive hopefully, but we're trying now and we'll see what happens. You know, wow. I don't know, but I wish that was an option. Cause I, so I could have that as a plan B, you know, mm -hmm. I know I have my eggs sitting here just in case this is, I need this, but it wasn't offered. And I think about though my team was great. My doctor's great. There were a lot of things that I see like now on Instagram as people share their journeys and what they've gone through that wasn't offered to me. Like I didn't go to physical therapy after and mom was mm. here. I had a short range of motion for a very long time. That I, yes, the cording. Mm -hmm. And so I was in fitness, the fitness industry. And like, I love the point you made Shantae about asking what you could do that already is in your lifestyle. That was my main thing. Can I still work out? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you can, as long as you know, and I did. I remember the day after my first chemo, cause I couldn't go out into the gym. I did P90X in my basement the yes. day after my first chemo. And I was like, and now when I think back on, I was like, girl, you was kind of crazy. <laughs> we are like the un, like the unruly baddies are on this call right now. Okay. I, know, I know six months after my bilateral, I told my oncologist, I was like, look, um, you know, it's running season, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. What, is, what does that mean? And he he understood he was a runner as well. And I was like, well, I run this race every year. I have mm -hmm. six months. So six months after I ran the Dallas um, half marathon, I didn't run a marathon, but um, I run the half marathon. And he, they really, the team was just like, why do you even want to, you know, to do that, but it was important. Why not? And right. we had a whole negotiation. I was like, look, we're not going for best time. I'll walk if I have to. Yeah. My goal, I'm across the finish line without an EMT. Let's shake on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because it makes you feel like 
you why feel not because this is a part of your life that makes you 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 know mm -hmm. what i'm saying so that's the same thing that happened to me like i continued to work out was it the same intensity no i had to adjust several things but i yeah. still kept moving i still meal prepped i still and i changed how i did things and i learned more about my body and then i think about um like your doctors are watching too right so i i was on hormone therapy i was and i also so it gave me like super bad hot flashes. So I started mm -hmm. taking this medication called Magistrol. And a lot of women don't like to take it because it makes you gain weight. Mm -hmm. And so I took it. I was like, I don't care. Give me the, I want whatever you can give me to fix these hot flashes. Cause it's giving me insomnia. Like it's just layer mm -hmm. on layer, a layer of things that happen. Right. So I was taking the medication and I was still working out. And now at this point, I'm not on um, any of my hardcore treatments, right? So I'm adjusting. I'm getting back into the full swing of my, my lifestyle. And every check-in, my doctor would like be so amazed. He's like, this is amazing. You come in and you're leaner and leaner every time. Mm -hmm. And you're still on this medication. This is a very special case. Like I've never seen this. And so, again, I did hormone therapy for five years, right? So I go to my oncologist once a year. I see him. Um, I went in last year in May to see him, and he had lost so much weight. And he's an older man, so I was nervous. So I was like, I hope he's not sick. I need this. Yeah. I hope I hope he just is not his time to go. But what happened was he was like, you know what? I changed my lifestyle. Remember how you used to like mm -hmm. how, what your lifestyle was? And he, he said, I lost 80 pounds just off wow. changing. Oh, you inspired. So, yeah. You came in as a patient, you know, and and you helped him change his lifestyle. I was, so, I was so inspired. I was just like, I was worried at first, like, oh, God, he lost a lot of weight. Is he sick? Like, because I can't. And he was probably but, excited. Like, did they come in and say, hey, I got to show her. I'm about to show her. He didn't look like sick, like bad. He just had lost so much weight. But I, when I learned, like, how he did it, I was like, man, that is good. Like, it's just about adjusting to where you are in your life today today can look completely different than even just last month let yeah. alone what we looked and felt like five years ago or what we look yeah. like pre pre-diagnosis and i think that's how a lot of us get wrapped up yeah we, we want to get back to our old bodies and our old like like girl that's gone yeah, let's, you gotta, let's adjust. Yeah. Let's adjust to what this is gonna look like moving forward, and it can look even better than it did before. It's yeah. just about making the adjustments. Don't try to go back to doing the same exact things. Your life is different. Your body is different. Your medications are different. Your lifestyle is everything's different. So adjust. And you you bring up a lot of points, Janae, and it's just like reflecting on your mind. Like half of this battle is really mental, how you, you let it happen, right? Because we're going to combat like a lot of things. Like I, I deal with fatigue. Okay, so how do I, I'm going to deal with fatigue? I try all the natural things. Now I'm on medication to kind of boost me, to give me energy. I deal with nausea, vomiting. How do I deal with that? You know, weight gain and um, weight loss and just fatigue and feeling sick and this stigma of what you're supposed to look like, right? And and it's just like dealing with all those different things. Your mind, it could really, really transform your mind and you could get into a really bad place. And the key is trying to get out of that place. And it's okay to feel sad and bad and hurt and angry. And it's just a matter of not staying there. And it's a day-to-day -day struggle for sure. 
And you, I mean, we said it, you know, you hear, you know, you've heard over and over again, comparison, you know, is the, is the thief of joy, right? So, but we think about comparing ourselves to other people, but once mm-hmm. you're diagnosed every day, you start to compare yourself to, you know, the, the old, like for me, the old, Nadia, yeah. like, you know, the old India, you know, hit that nine minute mile. See, Nunu right. can do that right now, <laughs> you know, see, Nunu me can't, but it took me a long time to accept those things. But within that, you know, accepting the good things too, like Nunu, you can tell her nothing you know you can't Mm -hmm. tell me nothing because i've been through this this and this but so you know you accept those kind of those good things still aligning but with those adjustments you know so you did gain some things you know the new person gained some things but i think for me like constantly reflecting especially as an athlete constantly reflecting on where i was before diagnosis was really holding me back from even from moving forward, you know, at all. And me becoming a personal trainer was because I had to get out of that space and trying to work with trainers. Once you told them cancer, they were kind of reluctant. They, get you know, scared. they were reluctant to push you and, you know, understanding we are a special population, you know, but at the same time, we still express what we want and they should help us as you know within our with, without harm they should help us achieve you know want to achieve those goals not just say well you know maybe let's just do this you know the mm-hmm. modification is needed when needed but when i need to push myself a little bit more you you want somebody you know beside you to do that but it also takes you accepting that my new best is not what i was doing before mm-hmm. you know so they yeah, may not, that's so may good that is so good what you said. Like, I'm just thinking like a few things. Number one, I think about when I did start like going back to a trainer. I went to one of my homeboys that I worked with because I was a personal trainer and him and I had worked together before the diagnosis. So he knew what I was capable of. And I would go to him after every radiation treatment. Right. And so he would like literally I would get in my car from the radiation and just drive to the gym. So it was no like, oh, let me rest. So I would get in there and I'd do certain things. And I'd be like, hold on, let me let me have a second. He'd be like, you got this? I'm like, no, actually, I just, I'm actually real tired. I just came from radiation. I'm pushing myself. Let me just get a breather. But they don't truly understand. And it's nothing to him. He's a great trainer. But that it's, we don't have that population of trainers that understand what we're going through. And I feel like it's a gap and it's a gap that I've always felt that I should be feeling. And yeah. I haven't. <laughs> uh, so you spoke to that and it just really touched me because it's not, and you can't just go to regular trainers. A lot of time, they don't know your range of motion. They don't know the medications you're on. They don't, that's not what they know. That's not their specialty and it's nothing to them. It's just not their specialty. Mm-hmm. But uh, being able to listen to your client, you know your body, though, Nadia. So you can say, hey, I'm going to come in. I'm able to do this, but I can't do that. And, and understanding that, hey, I'm not lying about it. This is just what I can do at the point at this point in time. So, yes, that was a good point. Mm-hmm. And then getting those, you know, for trainers that, you know, we're not making excuses. So, you know, you have those, you know, you have those clients that make yes. excuses. But then also getting, you know, it does require you to have a really, you know, a knowledge of your body and to be able to express to them. So I know I've worked with clients where, you know, you know what that look means because I've been in treatment before. So it's like, mm, oh, I know what that look means. Like you want to go forward but i'm gonna tell you to stop you know yeah. um so you know moderation 
yeah, them being, you know, you you being in tune with your body, but also, you know, being open with your trainer about, you know, you don't have to give them all the details, but about what's happening, you know, and how you're, you know, how you're feeling um, when you go into those sessions, you know, are important. But again, we just don't have, Janae Mitch, we just don't have a lot of trainers that are, you know, equipped for the special, you know, we call the special population. Yeah. You know, because we want to get back, you know, we want to get back out there. It's not to say that. But you, you need know, help. Yeah, like we're breaking those stereotypes. Like everyone on this call, like we, you know, we broke the stereotypes. Like we were, we were fighting to, you know, to be right. active, active again. But you want to do it and you want to do it safely and making sure that, you know, you have, you have that support as well. Let me ask you something, Nadia. So I stopped training probably a year to a year and a half before I even moved to Portland. And it was because of the space that I was in with personal training and knowing the people that I need to serve. Right. So, you know, people get so caught up in like, I want a small waist and a big booty. I want to get ready for vacation. I want to, but my mindset is not there. How I train people in my latter years of training was lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I, it's not goal oriented as far as like for a specific moment, right? Do you feel like your mindset around training? And I don't know if you started training before or after your diagnosis. After, but mm-hmm. after oh, okay. So for me, I was training before, so my mindset around it has just shifted. Like it's not like it was before. So I think that's what pulled me away from training. It's not even. I think that is what pulled me away. The people who were attracted to wanting to train with me, number one, wanted to look like me. That's not a thing. You can't. I am me. You are you. You know, I can help you look like the best version of yourself. Um, And that's where how I want to help people moving forward. And you mentioned special population. I actually literally just yesterday was looking like, okay, do I need to go ahead and get this certification and just go ahead and do it? Because they say. When you don't see something that you're thinking about, then you create it, mm-hmm. you know, and there are not a lot of personal trainers that serve our population at all. Mm-hmm. Like you go to a typical like physical therapist and then you find whatever trainer you want to get or whatever. But having someone who's catered, who caters to our needs is so important. Like is or do you work with um, our population, Nadia? Yes. And even with me, you know, I became certified, you know, because of my lack of being able to to find somebody that I really could work with personally. But as an athlete, it was different because I looked at my training as I'm going hard. I'm pushing myself. These are my performance goals. Right. So I focused on my performance goals as an athlete, but then becoming a trainer and, you know, being diagnosed, I understood it's a full package. So I had to bring in some of those things that I didn't consider before because I had to start practicing yoga. I did that after I became a trainer because I understood how it helped my range of motion. So I incorporated different things that I didn't look at before as an athlete because I was, you know, I was focused on, you know, speed and, you know, and, and endurance and those type of things. But what other activities? So I had to focus on the, the dietary habits, you know, for, you know, for endurance and different things like that. But what other activities did I need to couple with these high intensity workouts, right, mm-hmm. to give me where I needed to be? So when you when I 
when clients will come, they're like, oh, you know, I'm willing to do this. I'm just going to run until I pass out. I don't need you to run until you pass out. You know, I don't need you to be able to walk in the morning. I need you to build up, you know, your strength and endurance to do to do these things. And it's a process. So it's not instant. And I think when clients come, they see you. And especially when some of them know your story, they think it's magic. Right. You put on Mm -hmm. I show up a couple of days a week. And when I'm not, you know, and I'm not training, this is what I'm going to look at. But it's it's a commitment. And, you, and I always I think from athlete to trainer, I emphasize that you have to make the commitment first. You know, before you run a lap, before you do a jumping jack, the mental commitment has to be there because some days you will not feel it. And, you know, especially with the special a lot of days, you know, you will not feel it. So you have to make that, you know, that commitment to yourself. If I can't run this fast today maybe i can do some yoga maybe i'll do some restorative stretching or something like that so commit to doing something but it doesn't have to be the high intensity activities that most think about when they think about i have a personal trainer or i'm going to a boot camp or something like that yes i totally agree it doesn't have to be what you see on instagram number one you might not even like weights that might not even be your thing You have to find what your thing is. And I feel like it's so important to, number one, just move your body. If you've never even worked out before, you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, you're going through treatments, and then you decide you want to start picking up weights, that is not ideal for where you are in that life. Now, if you are going through remission and you're moving into a new phase, yes, those are something that you can incorporate, but that doesn't mean you can't do anything, right? Like there are so many different realms of working out and moving your body. But I think we are so conditioned in having a, a regimented program and a diet because that's what we see. Right. This trainer offers this 30 day whatever or this challenge or this this like that. It closes our minds to the opportunity of just getting out. I think about the pandemic the first pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic 2020 in the summertime gyms were still closed here like so i just started getting getting out as soon as the weather shifted here i was walking two to seven miles a day i was just walking and when i say i saw like how my body changed just off walking and doing outdoor workouts like it just opened my mind to what people are missing out on because they mm-hmm. feel like they need to do what they see everybody else doing. And that might not even be for you. Like mm-hmm. I, I genuinely love weights. I genuinely love going to the gym. And that's the thing people see me and they think, Oh man, she works out. I want, I want her discipline. Like this is years of discipline. I literally have worked out since I played sports in high school, worked out in college, the longest I've gone without working out, period, is six months. And that wasn't even like period. It was sporadic. But when I moved here, the first six months, because I wanted to learn a city, learn my job. So six months is the longest from when I was in my teens to 40, 40 years old. And you think you're going to look like me by doing a 60 day whatever. Like, that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. So I want to help people get in the mindset of, Hey, how can I make these small changes so you don't feel overwhelmed by the process? People feel like they need to dump all the things. I need to get a diet. I need to do workouts six times a week. I need to do cardio five times a week. Like that's a lot at one time for one person to take Mm -hmm. on. And it's not sustainable. 
And you 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 touched on one thing that Shantae can definitely speak to is the nutrition part. So, you know, they want to go out and they want to go hard, but you are not fueling your body to do the things that you want to do. So and or you want to do this this fad diet that's not going to fuel your body for the for the workout that, you know, that uh -huh. you want to do. So it's you know, it's a balance of both. And Shantae mentioned, you know, she was dropping so many gems during her intro, so many things. But we're going to talk about this farm. So you and your husband have a farm where you grow your own produce and these bees and you said chickens and some a few other animals. So what made you decide to start um, the 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 farm and how do you think um, people can easily kind of transition into their growing their own um, fruits and vegetables so they can sustain that a healthier lifestyle? Yeah, you know. Um wellness is different for for everybody and we have to do things that's comfortable for us and our capabilities and what you put in your body is helpful too you know but you know you always hear these things you put this in your body it's going to cure 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 and that's not what this is you know life about it's really about what you can maintain your body to overcome some of the things you may exhibit just from the treatment side effects and things like for me it's lifelong and this these things can be incorporated whether you have cancer or not um my husband and i we you know are a military spouse i'm a military spouse so we used to live in washington state and it was really highly encouraged to have fresh produce and i was introduced to that when we came back to maryland where we live we was trying to transition into a home where we had a single family living space and we lucked out and got an old tobacco farm uh, from the 1800s with a two acre plot and we were able to, in my community, to get chickens. And not every community has that. So we was like, why not get chickens? Like, I have my own produce. I mean, you know, my own eggs that's fresher, that's healthier, that has a lot of omega-3 fatty acids. Um, I wanted to grow my own produce because it just has a different taste level. Um, and I just wanted to just be active. So this was kind of incorporating everything at once and then kind of, it's free. You know, it doesn't cost much to have a seed and put it in the ground or a pot and you can put it on your balcony. You can put it in like these um, rows in the apartment. They have like these LED light type pots and plants. You don't need money. You could go to like Walmart and get like a Tupperware and start an earth box, put a whole bunch of fertilizer and dirt. You can start a compost with just fresh fruits and vegetables. We have bees and the honey is like a super benefit to us because um, it has prebiotic benefits. It helps with my mouth sores when I get it. I just put some honey on there, heals it right up. Um, it was just like incorporating a lot of nutrients in my body that I wanted to give to myself that's freshest than the, the store. And we are part of farmer's market where we give to our community, back to our community. So I sell all my produce, eggs, and honey to the, uh, I live in an underserved community, so it's highly population of black. And they could use their snap. They get double the amount. I teach them how to use herbs and the importance of like oregano, parsley, garlic, ginger, all these simple things that you can add to your life to boost your immune system because we know we're all like immunocompromised either during treatment after treatment and um it's been proven when i eat like a drink a smoothie every day my immune system goes right up and so we just want to give to others put stuff in my body to keep me living for a longer time i've been here for six years so far and i have to be doing something right right yeah. <laughs> right 
And you mentioned different things other than planting outside. So really quick, like, so what are some tips for those that have smaller spaces? You know, when you're in certain areas, you don't have yards, you know, you have yeah. balconies, you don't have, you know, it's all you, all you have is concrete. So what are some tips for those that have smaller spaces or they only have um, space to grow indoors? Right. So indoor um, planters, just like a house plant, all you need is a pot or a few pots or like I mentioned, an earth box. You can stick it in a, a corner in your house and have like a light over it or the natural light from your window. And all you need is sunlight, dirt and seed and water. And then you can fertilize it with like anything like a compost with scraps of fruits and vegetables and just start growing. You could grow tomatoes are the easiest thing to grow ever. Um, any herbs like sage and thyme and parsley, all those things grow really well inside and indoors. Um, some things like underground, like potatoes, maybe a little harder to grow, but like those are like good beginner plants. It's like tomatoes, cucumbers, and they sprout like a vine. And you just pick a space in your house with natural light. All you need is a little bucket of water and uh, a dirt, like a dirt box. Put some fertilizer and just watch it grow. It is really amazing. Lemon trees. Can you grow lemon trees? No, that's there? not everywhere. <laughs> it's like that lemon trees gotta be in an environment um that's really high in like sun and warmth. So like down south where you are, you could probably grow a lemon tree, but it's gonna take long to get the fruit. Strawberries are bomb because they are perennials, that means they come back every year and they just keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And you'll have a bunch of strawberries. And we know berries got all the antioxidants um, that you can have. Spinach is easy. Kale is easy. Um, those things you could just eat. Any lettuce you could do. Those are easy plants. Yeah, I'm so excited. So the audience here, I'm like glued to my screen right now because <laughs> I'm waiting to the end of February. So I want to do some some outdoor some outdoor gardening. I have 23 house plants, so I think it's time for me to move it outside. Yeah. To the to the garden. So I'm looking forward to some planters. So Shante, I'll be stalking you. Like, wait, you said what now? Like, what? Do I <laughs> like, yeah, they got stuff you can hang on the door and just put like the the dirt little pots and plants, and you could just go grow everything you want awesome so for those you know that may be in those those food deserts you know or feel like you know it's too expensive so it does take mm -hmm. some planning you know you have to start a you know a season or, or two ahead but there are ways for you to start to grow some of those things um indoors so that's good to hear mm -hmm. especially tomatoes and cucumbers some things that you know you can make plenty of snacks anything um, you want to eat anything you eat you can grow like if your favorite snack is like um, celery, you could grow celery. You know what I mean. And certain ones grow fast too. Yeah, certain like. ones grow in, you know, climates of warmth and cold. But it's simple research you could get, like for sure. I want to make a point, um, Nadia, that you just brought up living in food deserts. So when I was in Atlanta, I used to teach nutrition classes at um, the Good Samaritan Health Center in underserved communities, and basically it was food desert. Um, I think at that point, the only store they had was like one Walmart um, that they could get to. Right. So our cl the classes that my partner and I would share with them are how to grocery shop, things that you can buy. You don't need a Trader Joe's, a Whole Foods or this. Like, And also the center had a garden, a large garden on the lot. So you could come there and purchase fresh fruits and vegetables 
and you could use your EBT card and you would mm-hmm. get double the amount of mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables or whatever you bought. Right. But I think it's important to share with people like to start to look into that because it's now really coming back to like cities, like where like where they're having community gardens and things like that. Mm-hmm. Look into those things because usually the foods are a little bit cheaper and you know, depending on where you get it, that it hasn't been sprayed down with anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know exactly where it's coming from because wherever you go, you probably can see it there. Um, I love that about Portland. Like it's so many like farmers, farmers markets market. here, like literally everywhere and i love when the season shifts because you can go to any one of these places and buy fresh and it's also important for them to know that because this food is so fresh it hasn't been sprayed down that it um it goes bad faster so it's not like the grocery store food that you buy you may buy a bundle of spinach and it may not last as longer as the one that you buy in the plastic tub because it's so fresh and it, it hasn't you know been sprayed by anything, but it's just a great option for people to think about when you, they're buying their um, their groceries. Like um, you made a comment before about, I guess, um, just eating well. And I'm thinking about when I was diagnosed and I told you like when I, I was in the peak of my fitness, I used this for a reason mm-hmm. because Yes, I was eating clean foods. I didn't eat a lot of sugar. I wasn't putting a lot of salt on my food. But also, I wasn't as educated on food at that point because I was so early on, like diagnosed and still fresh in my in my uh, fitness lifestyle. Right. So I remember when bodybuilding, if you've ever seen one of the diets, like it's super strict and it has a ton of protein on it. So I remember buying a lot of chicken, fish, um, turkey, but I would never really like look at the label. I would just like, what can I, I was looking at quantity, not quality. So I wasn't looking at the labels for, for it to say no hormones added, no this, no that. And I don't think that that gave me cancer because I had my lump long before that, but I do think it added to it because I was her too positive. So it means my cancer fed off hormones, right? So I'm buying this chicken in bulk because, hey, I got to eat a lot of this stuff. Let me get as much as I can for the smaller dollar amount. And that's not always the, the right way. That's not the right way to go actually at all. Look at your labels. Like I like to call it now, like I get the bougie chicken. Let me get the expensive chicken because I know you you didn't pump it up with nothing. Like I'm reading all the labels. Like if if it if it doesn't have any labels on it and it just got that little price sticker on it, you probably don't want that chicken. Yeah. And we can go deep into <laughs> that. You know, we're talking about the, the economical side of that, how they meet the demand, you know, for, mm-hmm. for our food, which means that they're the light when you think of a life cycle or something like a chicken so how do i push this many chickens out to meet the demand you, you know um so that we can go you know deep into that you know what's what's happening to really get the, you know these packages in our stores but that you know that leads to your point look at that you know look at to make sure that you know their hormones you know or they're they're cage free so different things like that because there there's certain things that are happening um for us to get things to our stores that may not be healthy for our body 
Yeah, right. because everything it, they put into that meat goes into your body when you ingest it. Hence why I like think about like younger, young girls, like when they're like in elementary school and you see them and they're super fully busted. I'm like, that's not natural for it. And it's because of some of the foods that we're putting, the stuff that they put into the foods that we eat. Like a, a young girl that's in third or fourth grade should not have C, D cup breasts. Like, what are they putting in the food to make us like fully develop like this? And, and you see it on social media. So I think about me as, you know, a sophomore or a junior in high school. And I look at a sophomore and a junior in high school now. And you're right. like, what? <laughs> you know, like you look right. so dirty or, you know, like so, you know, so underdeveloped, you know, compared to. Um, a lot of the teens and then the young adults, I will say young adults now. Yes. Um, they have young adult issues too. So, you know, the, a lot of the young adults now. So, and it lends to what we're consuming, you know, it's, what mm -hmm. we're putting in, into our bodies. I, I think it all leads back to resources and knowing where you live. If you have the capacity and capability to raise your own chickens, like I, I harvest my own chickens and my ducks and I eat them myself. And, um, and I do it, of course, in a humane way, but I know where it's been. And just like knowing that if you're able to get chickens, get two or three chickens, you get eggs and you get a chicken, you know, you, then you could grow your own produce, you know, um, self-sustainability. I think we're getting away from it and we need to go back to it because we're such a consumerist, you know, society that we need to learn how to be self-sustainable. Even like seeds are GMO based. They can make a seed. Everything that grows has a seed, but they have now stopped it where it won't reproduce a seed. And sometimes that could be harmful to us as well. So understanding the difference between organic seeds and inorganic seeds and then utilizing the resources around you. Uh, there are communities that help cancer people with cancer that will give you CSA boxes with fruits and fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables where you can get like um, money to get for your groceries and donations and just um, the uh, hospital organizations, they have free complimentary therapies like oncology masseuse, Reiki, um, chiropractors, and all these things help with your, and free mental counseling. And just using your resources can help with your wellness if you can't afford it as well, for sure. I wish I would have known about all of that stuff when I was diagnosed. <laughs> Literally, like, I really just went to my doctor's appointments and went to the gym. Like I didn't have a therapist. None of that stuff was like offered except a nutritionist. You made a point that you went to a dietitian. Mm -hmm. I went to a nutrition when I was first diagnosed and she was like, you're already doing all of the things. Like I was like, all right, thanks for nothing. I appreciate you. I won't need to come back and see you because I already know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, it's about the quality of foods that also wasn't um, ingesting at the time. And the thing I think with the nutrition is the why. So to say, oh, well, you know, you should eat this, but why? You know, mm -hmm. so when you're educating someone and you're telling them, you know, the benefits, right, of a new, of a new, not to say a diet, of a new lifestyle. So I'm mm -hmm. really picky about that. So when you're telling them the benefits of a new lifestyle, that's what they need to understand. And that's what they need to buy into, not a fear of you do this because mm -hmm. it'll reduce, you know, your risk. So it's, it's that point of view too, you know, from a nutritionist, because there's mm -hmm. probably still some things that that nutritionist could have taught you, you know, that would have made you dig a little deeper, but just walking into that conversation, like, Oh, you know, you, you, you're good. 
you know, you could that relationship didn't develop. And there's so many things that you could have learned and you were already in the fitness industry that you could have continued to pass on throughout the community. But they didn't, you know, she didn't really nurture that relationship. It was like, oh, you know, you're good. You know, next person, somebody else needs, you know, more help or whatever. And and even going like slow. Right. We understand that it doesn't have to be a drastic change. It's a low and slow thing because ultimately we trying to put, you know, have an overall health and also our cancer health. And me having metastatic breast cancer, now I'm dealing with things of long-term effects. Now I have hypertension because I'm in menopause. Now I have sexual um, dysfunction because of the menopause status. And I could have, now I'm at risk for high cholesterol and blood clots and osteopenia. And just learning that just incorporating maybe 2% milk versus full milk is a small change. Having wheat bread versus white bread is a small change. You know, I still eat chitlins once a year. I still love it, but in moderation. I went to from iodine salt to now Himalayan salt. Small change. And just little small changes we can help, you know, instead of a cheeseburger and steak every day. I do it like maybe once a week. You know, I don't have to go vegan or unless I want to, right? There's, mm-hmm. there, I, you know, I felt a lot of guilt because I love meat. And I felt a lot of guilt because I try to do vegan because everyone was in my, hey, you need to do that, you need to do that. And it didn't make me happy. What makes you happy? And what you can slowly adjust to to increase your mm-hmm. your overall health and wellness for sure. Yeah, like what also, makes you happy and also what's meeting your, your nutritional needs, right? Mm-hmm. So you yes. want to make sure a lot yes. of people hop into these lifestyles. You know, I have been a vegan, I have been a vegetarian, but it worked for me yeah. based on my nutritional needs. And that was important that before you hop into a lot of these really strict or um, or lifestyles that um, remove a food group in entirety. Yeah. Right? You have to know, like, you know, maybe do some blood work, do some biometrics so you understand if you have deficiencies that go yes. into this lifestyle, you know, won't um, increase, you know, your chances or, or open you up to risk for other things for sure. just because you want this quick result of, oh, if I go vegan then I may drop, you know, I may drop a few pounds or you want instantaneous mm-hmm. um, results from that are, you know, promoted from a lifestyle. Not to say that they're true. But, you know, they're associated with the lifestyle. And I think it's important, too, that people, to Ashante's point, you like meat. You genuinely like it. Me, too. Have I tried, ve- uh, not vegan, I've tried vegetarian before, and it's cool. Mm-hmm. I just like when I, I get in mode sometimes where I just, I don't like how meat smells. I don't mm-hmm. like touching it. And every time somebody's like, you're pregnant, I'm like, no, this is just like happens to me randomly. And when that happens, I just don't eat meat. And that's cool. You have to be aware of your body and you can't just do things because you've seen other people do it. And I think a lot of our world or our country, they're not in tune with what works with their specific body and their needs, whether they're an athlete or not. You should be aware of like what foods make you feel away, make you feel sick, what makes you feel good, energized. And people don't think about that. They just think about the quick fix. Like, I know if I do this, I can like, to your point, Nadia, I can lose 10 pounds if I do this. And I'm like, but it's also not sustainable. Yeah, you'll lose 10 pounds. And then as soon as you start eating whatever you cut out, you're going to probably gain 15 pounds. Now you're back far off than you were where you started. So it's just people understanding their what, why they're doing it. What is your reason? Okay, you lose this pound. You're losing 10 pounds for what? What is your reason? What's your why behind it? And it can't be something that's so superficial as a look. 
it has mm -hmm. to have a deeper meaning so you can continue on and make it a lifestyle. And I think um, also another point is people discount what changing your diet or, you know, your your life, your nutrition lifestyle with that. That's a major life change. Right. So you yeah. think about it as, oh, it's just a phase. But no, it's a major life change. So that yeah. means that any life change requires you to have some type of support. So when you go into it alone, you can often get overwhelmed. So that's something that if you're really thinking about, like I know you just think people go vegan every day, but that's a big deal. Yeah. So if you're really thinking about that, then maybe talk to a friend or talk to someone and say, this is what I want to do, you know, to kind of have that partner along the journey with you so they can tag in and say, you know what, I don't know if this is working. You know, yeah, for whatever, yeah. you know, for a reason, you need to have that support system. It's a big deal. And I know now because we have all these fad diets and things like that, you know, they're not approached that way. But anytime you make a, you know, a major change to, you know, your nutrition or your consumption, that's a big deal. Like your body's going to react to it. So yeah. you want to make sure that you have some people around you that really know, we you know what's going on with you and what you're doing. So if they have to kind of call out something that, you know, they're aware, like it's a really I think that we really discount um, some of the things that are being done for the sake of the physical appearance, yeah. you know, yep. appearance. And we're not, you know, counting what that does because you're consuming different things and what, what what's this what that's doing to your mental and how mm -hmm. overwhelming it could be to hop into something like that. I think. And, um, oh. No, you can go ahead, Shantae. Oh, I was just going to bring on, like you mentioned, like the mental mental wellness of it and just like adjusting either after diagnosis or you're living with it, thriving. And before even getting into this, I think sometimes we think about this so much that it can overwhelm and it messes with our mental health. And I think uh, for me, like to to help me unwind, to do things that help me not think about this all the time, like I like to you know, video games is good. Hanging with my friends. Don't mention cancer. Okay. I don't want to hear about it. You know, TV and, you know, my oncology, mas like massages and vacations, things like that. Sometimes it just needs to get your mind off stuff. Um, and that's very helpful to kind of prepare you to kind of bring up all these new lifestyle changes that we are about to embark for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, I want to add one more thing to yes. your list of things you can do. One big thing you can do is serve other people. Mm -hmm. When you serve others, you don't you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about how you can pour into that person. Mm -hmm. And it at all of the situations I've ever had where I'm pouring into somebody, I think it's for them, but I feel so good after doing it and not in a superficial way. It's more of like, man. I thought this was for them, but they just poured into me. Now I now I'm lifted. So now that's something you can add to your mm -hmm. list as well. So you're not thinking about your diagnosis or your treatments and what you're going through. And that was a big thing for me, too. When I was diagnosed, I told my friends and family like, hey, just treat me like you did the day before I told you I had cancer. Treat me exactly like that. Don't treat me like I had like I have cancer. Like make me feel as normal as possible. Until I tell you I'm too tired to do something, let's just do whatever we was normally going to do. Let's go to the to this party. Let's go to the movies. Let's do whatever we're going to do because I'm still that same person. This is just something that's happening to me at the time. 
Yeah, and that's important because you you say like doing the same things I was doing the most before. So, and I'm still know, like, gonna do the most. Don't coddle me and say, "Well, you shouldn't." I'm I'm still gonna do the most. <laughs> like I'm still gonna yes. do the most. But, you know, accept you know accept me for who I am, and don't try to say like you should water down yourself just because because this diagnosis is just one thing. You know, mm -hmm. one little thing, and they're still me. You know, so don't make it where this diagnosis you know defines you and you know make sure that the people around you know this doesn't define me it's not going to change who i am from this day forward it's just a part of this journey um mm -hmm. that i'm on so y'all we have been talking and talking, <laughs> and, talking and we can, i know we can continue to talk but i just want to make sure so let's just a, a lightning round of sorts so just a few tips we will drop so many gems during this conversation but just a few tips about um mental wellness and also physical wellness in some ways that that um that patients can make it sustainable so some some ways that they can start to change or make those changes or implement um mental and physical wellness into their activity without it being so overwhelming so what are some of the, those beginner steps that they could take i think a beginner step is think about what your vices are think about those things that you know aren't that good that you do anyway like i i'm not a cold drinker or iced tea drinker but I've seen people like I used to work with somebody. She would have three 32 ounce cups of sweet tea every day. If that's your thing, don't try to cut all, don't try to cut all of it out in one time. Maybe it's like, okay, this week I'm going to only have two instead of three. And then when you get that down pat, then it's like, okay, next week I'm just going to have one. Like pick something small that you can adjust to, not necessarily making several different changes at one time. If you don't move your body, just get out. I'm just going to walk twice a week. I'm going to take my dog for a walk for 15 minutes for two times a, a, a week. Like make small adjustments and then you'll get into the habit of wanting more. And then that's when you can add on and add on and you can adjust your lifestyle based on that. I think I think I always start things um, with just enjoying your life and finding something that's going to give you joy every day. And that will catapult to the, the things that you may want to change, um, whether it's your mental wellness or physical nutrition and, um, you know, sexual health. Look at everything and just try to some figure out something that you can reinvent yourself and enjoy your life and adjust as it comes and don't feel guilt. You know, a lot of times I feel guilt because I can't wash the dishes as much as I used to. I feel guilt because I can't clean the house. But now I have resourced a house cleaner, um, you know, that I can use that will make me feel less guilt or I just work once a week, but I'm still working. Right. Be, give yourself grace. That's allow for grace. Allow yeah. for grace. That's the biggest thing you can do is allow for grace. And that's even in regular life. Like whether <clears throat> you are diagnosed or not, like we can say we're going to do these things. And like we have all these plans lined up and we started and we're doing good. And then we fall off. Cool. Allow for grace. If you miss a workout, if you didn't eat the best that day, fine. If you feel sad and you're sad for a couple of days, Sit in the sadness and be done. After give yourself a timeline, okay, mm -hmm. two days, and then allow yourself for grace to say, okay, that was just a moment in time. But that is the biggest thing overall that you can do is allow yourself grace because we're our own worst critics. Nobody else is out here checking us. It's really us. 
<laughs> like nobody knows what you used like for me. Nobody know what I used to run before. Exactly. Like nobody knows that. You know, it's just you beating yourself up for no reason. Meanwhile, there's somebody on the opposite end wishing they could live your life. Mm -hmm. You know, allow for grace. Yeah, that I mean that's that's the big one. You know, allow for grace. And I think something that I want to add: just keep a record because sometimes when you make those changes, write down how you feel. Yeah. That's what when you get. I have a little jar here. You know, I know everyone can see it, but there's some little slips of paper. They're all mm -hmm. folded up cute in here. So sometimes, you know, like write down how you feel because on those days when it's overwhelming or you in that slump, like I'll pull out. I did this today, and I felt. So maybe I need to go do that again. Or, you know, you're just in that place where you don't know what to do. How do I get out of this? You know, because we have those days when you're having one of those mm -hmm. days, you know, when you, you can't think of what you need to do. So write down what, you know, as you change and how you feel when you do things, because you may have to come back to that. And it's also just some reassurance that guess what? This day won't last. You know, mm -hmm. this little day that I'm feeling now, you know, this day won't last. And I think it's always to keep in that, you know, that to keep in that mindset that you can get through this. Like, you know, they say this too shall pass. You're going to have those challenging days, but give yourself some grace and you know that it'll pass. You you're know, never, like, you're never alone. Right. And you, exactly. And you are never alone. And that's why we're here. And that's why we're going to continue to advocate. So other women and men know that, someone is out there virtually holding your hand. You know, we're in pandemic times, but we are virtually hugging your hand, you know, holding your hand. We are hugging you and sending, you know, sending love. And it's just as easy as just thinking there is somebody out there that is fighting for me and that's fighting with me, right? So this has been so good, so good. First, and this is just the first episode of Batty to Batty, but we talked about resources and I want to make sure that the audience also knows about some resources that are available to them, um, which in for January, um, the month of January for the rest of us is partnering with um, Unite for Her to provide women of color diagnosed with breast cancer wellness boxes. So um, Unite for Her provides um, integrative therapies and services to breast and ovarian cancer patients. So this includes um, lifelong program for metastatic breast cancer patients and reoccurrent ovarian cancer patients. So through Unite for, um, for Her wellness program, patients can receive services like things we talked about, nutrition counseling, um, meal deliveries, professional counseling, fitness classes, and more at no cost. So these are the things that help them, you know, kind of help um, increase that mental and that physical wellness within the, on their journey. The Unite for Her wellness program is available for patients um, in the United States um, to learn more about their program or sign up to receive um, your own wellness box. Go to uniteforher.com backslash apply. So, um, those are just some resources. So there, and we just talked about it, things that we didn't know existed, but there are places like, you know, and, and, um, programs like Unite for Her that are encouraging you and, and offering you resources to have that healthy physical and mental, um, wellness and lifestyle along your journey. So while, um, the things that we talked about, we talked about a lot of things, um, that worked for us, we just want to remind you, um, you know, the listeners that before starting any new regimen, um, please consult your medical providers. 
Um, so make sure that they know exactly what you want to do. Talk through some things with them before making any drastic um, changes um, with your physical and also um, within your mental space as well. So I want to thank Shantae and Janae for joining me today. This has been awesome. And I know we could continue talking for hours and hours. <laughs> um, but I want to make sure that the listeners know, how can they connect with you? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram mostly. You could um, follow me at Shantae19. That's S-H-O-N-T-E-1-9. And if you want to follow my farm and everything I do, that's Curemore Farms. That's C-U-R-E-M-O-R-E-F-A-R-M-S. Curemore Farms. Thank you guys for having me. And I am on um, Instagram as well as the Janae Work. So my first and last name with the in front of it. Awesome. And I know we'll make sure that we get all those details, too, in the description for um, for the episode. So when everyone tunes in and um, we'll, if we do what we want them to do, which is like, share and subscribe, you'll have all the information for everyone on the call um, and everyone on this podcast today. This has been like this has been absolutely great. Right. So, again, yes, we want everyone to like it, to share it. This is just the beginning. This is episode one. We have so much to unpack and talk about. All the tea, all the gems um, are coming. Um, so we want you to, to, to subscribe to Baddie to Baddie wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and tune in on Thursday, February the Third um, is our next episode of Batty to Batty, and you'll receive more information about what we'll be talking about on the podcast soon. So I want to thank both of you ladies again and again and again. This has been a party. Like we tried, we have to hold it in. We had to fit this time frame because we can be talking about so much stuff. But thank you for joining me. And I hope that we'll we'll see each other again. We have so much we can talk about, so many other topics. So we hope to see you again on Batty to Batty. Of course. Thank you for having me. This Thank has been you. great. I feel full. You feel, and you need a nap. You need that Sunday nap after this. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the itis. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, ladies. Mm-hmm. This is another Baddie Creation brought to you by For the Rest of Us. Don't forget to subscribe to Baddie to Baddie wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at For the Rest of Us, on Twitter at The Breast of Us. And check us out online at breastofus.com. Thanks for listening.